0: Welcome to Providence Road. We are really glad that you're here this morning uh, to worship with us. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Um, I see a few guests out there. If you're a guest with us, uh, like I said, we're really glad that you're here and honored that you would choose to spend um, a Sunday morning um, worshiping with us. We're continuing on in our um, Advent series. This is the fourth. Sunday, um, and the last Sunday before Christmas. This is our final week of Advent where we've been uh, looking at Isaiah. We've been looking at different chapters of the book of Isaiah to walk through the Advent um, season and prepare ourselves. And today uh, we're going to look at Isaiah 65, Isaiah 65, And we'll be in verse 17, and they'll be on the screens to my left and to my right. If you want to follow along with me, um, Isaiah is roughly halfway through the Bible, um, towards the kind of end of the Old Testament. Isaiah 65, verse 17, we'll go through the end of the chapter. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessing, blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall, not hurry, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for just beautiful passages like we just read that are, that are promises. That are promises of what will happen. As Isaiah is looking forward into the future and speaking as if these things have already happened, and we know that we can trust you because these are your very words. The scriptures we read are your words. And so I pray as we walk through this text and another today, I pray that you would use those to change our mind and to change our heart and change the way we live when we leave this place. And I pray that um, during the season that we would just remember your goodness, remember your grace, and remember your mercy. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So for this week of Advent, we're going to look at the theme of hope. The theme of hope. And hope is one of the strongest ideas that we have as, as, as humans, right? It's one of the strongest ideas we have in our world. You see, hope is, is something that is future-oriented, right? When we think of hope, we're always thinking about something in the future, but it affects our lives now more than, any most, than, than than almost anything else. So we think about something in the future, yet as we think about that and what we think about affects how we live in the present moment, in what we think and what we feel, in our disposition, in all those things, and by most indicators out there, uh, there's an increasing level of hopelessness in our world today. There's this declining confidence in the future. There's examples of this all over the place, but um, a couple of them. The first one um, is the rise in this this um, in stories. Of, of dystopian stories, movies, and books, stories about the end of the world, the world ending through rebellion and oppression, revolution, wars, diseases, zombies, overpopulation, disasters, like there's been this rise in stories. And uh, the New Yorker uh, magazine a couple of years ago had this headline on one of their articles, a golden age for dystopian fiction. And the subtitle of this article was, What to Make of Our New Literature of Radical Pessimism. And there are several articles, um, if you just search in the last couple of years, that are really asking the question, why this sudden rise of these kinds of stories and movies? And some of these articles are proposing that it's because that it's just another form of escapism. It's just our newest form in our culture to escape the world we live in, to kind of just disconnect ourselves, have something so dark and and, and out there that we can truly escape the world we're living in. Another reason that they put forth is um, it gives us something to compare our situation with where we can say, well, at least it's not that bad, <laughs> right? Like we can compare our world to something like the end of the world and, be, and maybe give us our, maybe a false sense of, of hope and, and confidence and say, well, at least things aren't that bad as they were in that story. Another indicator of this, this decreasing hope in our world is the increasing suicide rate. Uh, the suicide rate is up 33% since 1999 over the last 20 years. It's increased 33%. And um, it's rising even faster, almost double that rate amongst those under the age of 24. And they've just recently had to lower that age where they look at the, the, the younger population in the, t- in the teenage years. They used to keep it at around 13, but they've even dropped it to 10 because they're starting to see more suicides at ages 9 and 10. And most of us in this room have known someone who, is, who has tried to take their own life. And we can ask, why the increase in all these things? Right? Why the increase? What's happening? And that's another conversation for another time. But I share these things just to show us that what we believe about the future and what we put our hope in are two of the most important decisions we can make. Right? What we think about the future and what we put our hope in will shape how we live today. Because we live now in light of the future. Our behavior now often is shaped by what we think is coming, what we're looking forward to, what we're dreading, what we're fearing will shape a lot of our behavior. Some of you, um, I'm sure many of you in this room have watched the movie Home Alone, maybe during this Christmas season. Kids, I don't know if that's uh, one of y'all's favorites, but um, you just think of Kevin McAllister, right? Um, and if you just had this hope meter by him, As he goes throughout the movie, it fluctuates, right? So when he wakes up and his parents are gone, there's a moment you see that he's a little scared. He's like, what has happened? And he loses hope, right? Like he's like, what is going on? But then it immediately flips over to like, wait a minute, like this is awesome. Like like nobody's around and I can do whatever I want to do. So his hope goes up because he's hopeful because his parents aren't there, right? Um, And then throughout the movie, you know, we encounter the wet bandits and as he gets in with them and starts to mess with them, he starts to fear a little bit. He starts to miss mom and dad and he's starting to feel hopeless, more hopeless, because he's wondering if they're going to come back and who's going to help him stave off the wet bandits. And then you see this part at the very end of the movie after the wet bandits have, have gone to prison or whatever, they've been captured. And he is—it's it's Christmas Eve and he's adjusting the stockings on his mantle, getting ready, like I'm sure his mom and dad got ready before Christmas day. And I think he's hoping that they're gonna come home. And then he goes to sleep, wakes up the next morning and they're still not there. Christmas day, they're still not there. Um, and you can just see it, like his hope is declining. But then his mom walks through the door and it's just a party, right? His family comes in, and it's just... And so you can almost see this happen on Kevin's face and through Kevin's behavior throughout the movie. And we see this in coaches, in, in athletic teams, right? If, they're, if, you're, if the team's an underdog going into a game, one of the coach's jobs is to get the team ready, give them belief that they can actually win, that they give them hope that they can win the game. Or if they go in at halftime and they're um, down, and, and the, the job of the coach is to instill hope, instill confidence that say the right things to them about the future to change their behavior or their, their, their playing ability in the second half to help them win, okay? We see this all around us. What we believe about the future affects um, how we act and feel and think today. So before we jump into the text, let's talk about hope. Let's talk about hope. There's one kind of hope where we, the, the t- kind that we usually use in our everyday language, it's, it's really like a wish, right? Like I, you can almost replace hope with wish. Like I wish this would happen, or I Hope that happens. Some of you during the week, Monday through Friday, you're just, you're looking forward to the weekend. Why? Because there's this hope that things are going to be different than it was Monday through Friday, right? There's this hope of something fun, more time off, free time to be able to do whichever you want to do. And so you look forward to Friday at 5 or 6 p.m. and then that helps you get through the week. Kids, maybe some of you are looking forward. You're hopeful that you get a certain kind of present or you have that special hopeful kind of dessert on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day and you're not sure if you're going to get it, right? But so you're kind of wishing or you're desiring it would happen. Maybe there's that person that you know you're going to run into um, during a holiday gathering and you're just kind of hoping that you don't really have to talk to them, right? Maybe it's at a family gathering. Or maybe you have a relationship that's strained right now and you just, you wish that things would be different. You maybe say, I hope that they're different, but what you're saying is I desire that this would be different and I, my wish is that things would change. But there is no assurity of those things happening. That is one kind of hope. The other kind of hope is the Christian hope. When the scriptures use hope, what it's referring to, it is a certainty about how the world will end. Our future state. This is what the Bible means when it says hope. And it's not necessarily referring to what happens in our lives tomorrow or the blessings we get or the good health we may have. It doesn't mean guaranteed happiness. It doesn't mean any of those things. It is an assurance of what is, is going to happen in the future at Christ's second coming. And we can hope in that. And that's the foundation for hope in scriptures. So we can kind of define hope um, in one way as a full assurance that God is going to do good to us in the future. That is Christian hope. That is biblical. hope. There is certainty there. So let's jump in to the text, Isaiah 65. And we're going to go quickly through this. And this is this is God through the prophet Isaiah just giving imagery to what will happen one day. The certainty of the new heavens and the new earth. Listen to this. For behold, or look, or pay attention, he's saying, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. He's saying the old things, the pain, the suffering, everything else that comes before my kingdom will be forgotten. It's like they didn't happen. You won't remember them. It's good news. Verse eighteen, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and be glad in my people. And here, Jerusalem is is a, is kind of a, a picture, a metaphor for the uh, the new heavens and the new earth. This could be said the new Jerusalem. So it's a place. It's a physical um, new heavens and new earth. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping. And the cry of distress. No more pain, no more suffering, no more crying, no more distress. All of that will end. And you can feel the fatherly tone of God here. All throughout the Old Testament, God's people have grieved him. He sent his wrath upon them. He's been angry with them. But now he's saying, I want them to experience joy. I want to take joy in my people. I will take joy in my people when this happens. Verse 20. No more shall be, there be it um, an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. Simply means here that there won't be any untimely deaths. We will never, ever have to say goodbye to someone in death again. Meaning there won't be any untimely deaths. Having to say good, goodbye far too soon like we'd have to do on earth so often, and that is just a gut-wrenching pain. Here on earth, we have to say goodbye to someone. It's awful, but there's no more of that. And this is what Isaiah is talking about here. Verse 21, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build in another inhabit. They shall not plant in another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands." Now, what he's getting at here are just the common frustrations in life, right? We, like we build something, we invest our time or our, our effort or our energy in something, and it just falls apart. It withers over time. Things break. Things go away. This could be relationships. This could be something around your house. This, you can invest money in something, and it just not pay return. Sometimes it just feels like the the ups and downs in life, we go one step forward and then two steps back, or two steps forward and one step back. And this is just the frustration of living life here on earth. And what he's saying here is when you build something, you get to enjoy it forever. When you plant and grow something, you get to eat of that over and over and over, and that will never go away. Like what you put your hands to, what you invest in, you get to enjoy it forever. There's no ups and downs here. Things are stable. These are the way they should be. Verse 23, They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed Lord and their descendants with them. There it is again. They shall not labor in vain. Verse 24, Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. There'll be so much intimacy between us and God. He'll know what we need before we can even say it, and he'll be meeting that need before that need can even come out of our mouths. That's how intimate our relationship with God will be in the new heavens and new earth. We won't long for anything, because the moment we think about it, God will be providing that need for us. It's like we don't even have need anymore. And then verse 25, we read a passage similar to this two weeks ago when we talked about peace. And this, th- these are these are the, the animal kingdom here, and he's giving us a picture of what will happen, and just the the craziness of what is going on in verse twenty five is 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 it's really interesting. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. Now, what would make a lamb feel safe to graze with its arch predator? Right? Like like it's a it's a miracle. Like there's no way that science could ever like rewire a wolf's brain to. To just hang out with the sheep. This is a miracle. This is spiritual. This is God creating the new heavens and new earth. The lion, instead of finding flesh and meat in another living thing to devour, shall eat straw like the ox. Just innocent. Not an apex predator anymore. And dust shall be the serpent's food. And this is a, a, a kind of a tie back in most commentators think to Genesis three, when he puts a curse on the serpent and says, "For you're going you're gonna to hurt some people, right? There's going to be a time. I give you permission. You're going to hurt some people. But eventually, you're going to be crushed. And this is what, um, in a way, the serpent is, is living his days out, is just like a snake just eating the dust of the ground. No power, can't hurt anybody, can't bite anybody. Is enjoying the dust. It says, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Ultimate peace, ultimate peace joy ultimate protection don't have to fear don't have to worry about your house getting broken into don't worry about stuff getting stolen this is the picture of the new heavens and the new earth and when when i just when i lay that out and you hear that hopefully that produces hope because this is where all things are going we will those of us who are in christ who are followers of jesus this is our future reality jesus is taking our world and making it new See, Christian hope is about certainty, a certainty that something will happen in the future. The whole book of Isaiah was written 700 years approximately before the birth of Christ. And all those things they said, he said about Jesus, they came true. We can count on it. These are promises and God has proven himself faithful. Hebrews 11:1 kind of talking about this idea of assurance. Now faith and tying hope into faith here. Now faith it's a gift from God that we're given as followers of Jesus is the assurance of things hoped for. So if you have faith, you can be assured of the things that we hope for. And as followers of Jesus, we should have ultimate assurance and ultimate hope in the future. So this is the picture, right? If this, is, this is the circumstances that we will find ourselves living in. But if we just left it here, at least in my opinion, I think this passage leaves some questions unanswered. Leave some questions and answered. Questions like, well, how are we involved in this as as individual people? How are we going to be here? How do we experience this? How do we get in on this new kingdom reality? How does it affect us? And then how can we be assured that it's going to happen? Because even maybe some of you out there are, are, are imagining this and you're like, I just can't get behind that. I just can't get my mind to believe that that is a future reality. Even if you're a follower of Jesus, you may be thinking that. So what can God do to convince you? Well, he's already done it. Let's look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. This is Peter, close disciple of Jesus, one of the leaders in the early church. This is his, uh, one of a couple of letters he wrote in the New Testament. First chapter here. Let's look at verse 3. This is one of the best teachings on hope in all the scriptures. Just these few verses here. Verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he starts off in worship, right? Like blessed be God for who he is and what he's done. We're thankful for that. And then it says, according to his great mercy. So everything after this is according to his mercy, meaning we didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We weren't good enough to to earn those things he's given us. It is all by his mercy says this he has caused us to be born again okay many of us are familiar with that language born again we're new creations the spirit comes into our hearts into our souls and regenerates us causes life that's what he's talking about there he has caused us to be born again again born again what to a living hope not necessarily salvation not even necessarily he says eternal life here although those things are true he says born again to a living hope. And that word living hope there is interesting. It's the only time in all of the scriptures that living is put before hope. What Peter, I think, is trying to get us to buy into here is the biblical definition of hope. He's making sure we understand that, that this, this kind of hope is special, right? What's the opposite of living dead, right? Think of a dead hope, right? Dead, I mean, it's almost like an oxymoron, right? Like there can't be a dead hope because hope is, it, it, it's, it's active, it's producing something. And that's exactly right. That's why he's called it a living hope. It's fertile. It's fruitful. It's productive. It has power. It produces something in us when we have it. It's a living hope. So we're born again. And as followers of Jesus, we're given this living hope. We have it. Now, this is the key here. Now, how do we get this living hope? Uh, through or by the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, okay? And this is, this is huge. He okay, doesn't say you're giving this living hope through the life of Christ or the birth of Christ or the death of Christ. He specifically says and singles out through the resurrection. And this is why Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, this, the resurrection is the foundation of our faith without the resurrection, everything we believe just starts to crumble. Why, because how do we know Jesus was God if he didn't come back from the dead? He could have been just a, a great teacher with some really crazy gifts, maybe magic. There were magicians around there. Maybe he was just, this, this had this weird dark magic that he worked. Maybe he was just a good teacher. Maybe he was just a really good doctor that wasn't practicing in a normal place, right? But when Jesus rose from the dead, okay, that's it, right? No one's ever done that and remained alive. There are stories of resurrect people resurrecting, but those people always die. Jesus was brought back from the dead and he is still alive. No one in the history of the world can claim that. Paul also in Corinthians has this teaching where he talks about Jesus' being the, Jesus's resurrection being the first fruits of our resurrection. That's a harvesting language there where um, the, the, you get, take a harvest and you would take the first fruits, the best of the harvest first. And so what he's saying here is that our resurrection and Jesus' resurrection in a sense are from the same harvest. Yet when Jesus was brought back from the dead, that was the first fruit. That was God bringing him back and showing us this is your reality too. You will be brought back from the dead. You will rise again. You will live forever in the new heavens and the new earth if you have faith, if you're a follower of me. So we're going to have bodies, right? We're going to have bodies in the new heavens and the new earth when Jesus establishes his kingdom. When Jesus came back from the dead, um, he had a body, right? He walked around. His disciples saw him. His disciples touched him. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a spirit. He actually had a new kind of body. And we will have a new kind of body when we're either when we die or when Jesus comes back. That is a guarantee for those of us who believe in Jesus. This is why the body, the physical body is so important to us. Sometimes we can mistake that the soul and the spirit are the most important thing and our body is secondary. No, our bodies are just as important as those other things because we will have a body one day. So we should listen to our body and pay attention to our body and take care of our body. That's why Paul says um, your, your, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. He calls our body the temple. It, bodies are important because we will have a body one day. And the other thing a resurrection, the resurrection gives us is um, it, it helps all of our longings come true. And here's what I mean by that. If you just reflect on life, I know for me, and maybe it's just I'm, I'm getting older or whatever, and I just start to think of things I wish I had done, things I missed out upon, longings that I have that I start to wonder, will those longings ever be filled? Will, they ever, will I ever have a chance to do things that meet those longings? And that can be really sad if I dwell on that. And what the resurrection promises us is all of those longings that I've ever had will be fulfilled. All of them, they will be fulfilled. Because ha- there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Everything will be restored. This points back to Genesis 1 and 2 when, we, the, when, when Adam and Eve walked hand in hand with God in relationship with Him before sin came into the world as things ought to be. This is the life. So when I'm kind of stuck and I'm feeling sad or melancholy about just life and missing out and, and, and regrets and those things, I can quickly, that can quickly turn to hope if I think about all of those longings are going to go away one day. On this side of heaven, yeah, I'm going to miss things. I'm going to have longings. I going to be sad. But as C.S. Lewis said in the Chronicles of Narnia, everything sad will come untrue. All of those things that are sad, they will come untrue. The resurrection is so important to our faith and so important for our hope. I would make an argument that it is the most important theological point for hope. Is that Jesus died and He conquered sin, Satan, and death, and He is alive today, and He lives in His followers through the Holy Spirit. Like that produces hope more than anything else. I think in even the Scriptures. Let's keep going. So, verse four, five, and six really support verse three. He says to an inheritance. So we're, um, we're we have the we're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To An inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. We have that inheritance now, but we don't have access to it, right? It's like a a trust fund, right? We don't have access to it until we die or Jesus comes back, and then we will have access to that whole inheritance. But it's being kept for us. It's being kept in a safe place for us, Peter says. Verse 5, who... By God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We're being guarded right now. We've been given faith, and that saves us. But it's it's protecting us for our salvation to be fully revealed at a time in the future when Jesus returns. Verse 6: In this, everything that he's just said is the this, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, meaning Our years on earth are so short in comparison to eternity. It's just going to be for a living, a little time that you'll rejoice here on earth, because whether you're just born or whether you're old, it's like this. It's like a mist, our time here on earth. And if necessary, he says, you have been grieved by various trials. So even in your trials that you're facing, and the the, the recipients of this letter that Peter wrote to were suffering in a major way, history tells us. But yet, even in your trials, you can have hope. Even in your trials, you can rejoice. Why? Because of everything he has just said before. So especially if you're going through difficulty, especially if you're suffering, especially if you're pounding the table, and say, this is not the way it's supposed to be, then this passage is for you. Biblical hope is for you. This is where we bank. We, we, we put our faith and trust here. And human beings can get through incredible Amounts of suffering with just a glimmer of hope. It's crazy. You see the the stories throughout history all the time of just horrible, horrible situations. Yet if there's just a glimmer of hope to hold on to, it can help humans stay alive and work through the difficulties. And this is one of the ways that Christianity separates itself from other reliefs, other uh, religious systems and, and belief systems, because we have to look at something that transcends the world, something that's otherworldly to give us the strength and the hope to get through things here on earth. And this is why if you don't believe in, in, in God or transcendent something that gets you through hope, I, I don't know what you believe in. Like, I really don't. Like, I don't know how I would face the difficulties of this world without something eternal, transcendent, something that exists outside my world to put my trust in. I just don't know how I could do it. But for all of us moving forward, even for followers of Jesus, the question is how do we live this out day by day, right? How do, how do we do this? How do we actually have hope in the moment? So we can sit in here, hear a passage like this, yes, yes, I believe, yes, I have hope. And when we walk out of here and have that really hard conversation, or have to say goodbye to that family member. Or have to walk through something uh, tough with kids. That's when it gets tested, right? Well, first, uh, first Peter has, I think, an answer for that. First, uh, first Peter 1, same chapter, just um, a few verses later, in verse 23. Listen to how Peter connects our hope to, the, to God's word. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So the first thing Peter's doing there is he's, he's connecting God's word, the scriptures, and the gospel. The good news that was preached to you. So what Peter's trying to remind the people that are us and the people listening to him are remember God's word. Remember what was preached to you. Remember uh, the, the good news, the gospel that was preached to you, and all the other teachings that were, that were, te- that were taught them as well. We're strengthened, we're strengthened in our hope by knowing God in His word, knowing the gospel through the power of the Spirit. So if there's one takeaway from this, it's let's go to God's word. Let's strive to know God, know who He is, know His character, know His love, know His peace, know His hope that He brings, How are we going to do that on a consistent basis to have the kind of hope that causes us to be people of love? Go to the Word. We learn to hear His voice. We learn to listen to the Spirit. We learn to pray. We learn to be apprentices of Him, to walk in His ways. This is how, over time, over the long period of time, we will grow up in our hope, and our hope will be strengthened. Another way here that Christianity is different um, is that uh, most belief systems teach um, an afterlife, right? Religious systems do. But it's usually a, 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 a list of moral commands or things you have to observe. And that's how you're graded, and that's how you are determined to get into heaven or nirvana or whatever that particular uh, belief system is. Um, but Christianity offers something different. God became man. We've been offered our salvation as a gift. It's a gift to us. We don't, it's not, hey, hey, clean yourself up and then come to faith. It's, it's no, this, this, this faith, this hope is for people who admit, I can't do it myself. I'm a mess. I'm broken. I've tried everything. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm, I'm humbled. And I need help. I need a savior. Yes. Yes to the gift. Yes to salvation. Yes to hope. This is how Christianity is different. It's not, hey, here it is. Here's salvation. Now come get it. Work. Climb the mountain check off the list. No, the gift became human because we couldn't do those things that it calls us to do. I love this quote by Tim Keller. It'll be on the screen so you can follow, follow along. This is in his book about Christmas. Um, I love this. Um, really puts uh, why we do this, why we talk about this, and really why we celebrate Advent. Christmas, therefore, is the most unsentimental, realistic way of looking at life. It does not say, cheer up. If we all pull together, we can make the world a better place. The Bible never counsels indifference to the forces of darkness, only resistance. But it supports no illusions that we can defeat them ourselves. Christianity does not agree with the optimistic thinkers who say we can fix things if we try hard enough, nor does it agree with the pessimists who see only a dystopian future. This is bad, and we can't heal and save ourselves. Things really are this dark. Nevertheless, there is hope. The Christmas message is that on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Notice that it doesn't say from the world the light has sprung, but upon the world a light has dawned. It has come from outside the world. There is is light outside of this world, and Jesus has brought that light to save us. Indeed, He is the light. In closing, I just want to say this I realize that. Even right now where we all sit, there are things that are right in front of our eyes, right in our field of vision that that cause us to lose hope, that we can't get around those things to see the hope that we have in Jesus and how things are going to end. But hopefully what we've seen in, in, in our Advent observance here is that beyond those hopes, there's a promise. There's a promise that things are going to get better if not on earth, one day in heaven when Jesus sets up the new heavens and the new earth. And the way you come a, become a part to believe this is believing who he said he was, that he lived a perfect life, that, that the people uh, of God's people in the time of Isaiah, they couldn't do that. We can't do that in our day. So he did that for us. He died a death, a sacrificial death in our place, rose from the dead, resurrection, which we've talked about a lot today. This is God. This is, this is Jesus And he doesn't just come for our soul. Hopefully, we've seen that throughout this Advent season. He doesn't just come for our soul so we can go to heaven. He comes to bring a kingdom. He comes to set up the new heavens and the new earth, to bring spiritual renewal to human beings and renewal to all of creation. It's not, hey, let's just pop uh, people who believe out and, and get them up to heaven. No, it's so much fuller and more meaningful than that. So here's what my prayer over the next few days, I know we only have a few days left in Advent, but I want it it to, to, I want us to enjoy the things that bring us hope, like during this season, right? The presents, the gifts, the singing, the food, go at it, go at it, and thank God for giving you those things. But here's what I don't want it to, December 26th is coming, or January 2nd, or February 1st, whenever you take down your Christmas decorations, right? Like, like, It's coming. Christmas is going to go away and all the lights are going to be put away until this time next year. But this hope does not go away. Jesus is still alive on December 26th. The Holy Spirit still lives inside followers of Jesus on December 26th. So I pray even in these last few days that our focus would be on that which brings real hope and everlasting hope, not just the things that bring temporal hope. Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you for your word once again. And I, I, I love this time of year. Um, I love Christmas. I love really everything about it. Um, and I pray that, um, that those things will be reminders of your grace and your mercy. And they won't obscure these last few days. The reason why we have real hope. Hope that's eternal. The idea that this baby that we observe this event that happened 2,000 years ago. This baby has grown up and he's a king now and he's alive and his spirit lives in us. So when we are thinking about the baby and we're singing songs about Jesus coming, I pray that we would also at the same time be able to see Jesus, the king, who reigns and will return one day to make all things right to bring all suffering and pain to an end, that when we look at Jesus, we see someone who has redeemed us and who has made a way for sinners and broken and rebellious people, like everyone in this room, has made a way for us to be reconciled to a holy and righteous, yet loving and peaceful God. So help us see that these next few days, especially as we celebrate um, these next few days. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.